0: Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to our Midweek Bible Study 2022 Summer Edition. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Folk Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and it's my joy to be with you today. Thanks for taking time to join me. It is Wednesday, July 27th. We're continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians, taking on tough issues. Last week, we considered the important role of discipline in living the Christian life and how our example can be a powerful witness. Paul reminded us that we should be more motivated to run the race than those with earthly goals, because our reward will be the imperishable crown of eternal life. Today, in part eight, we'll consider the Lord's Supper and what it means for the Christian community. I'll tell you a lot more in just a moment, but right now, join me in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, O Most High, thank you for the amazing gift of today. Thank you for the freedom we have to study your word and to learn from it, to implement it in our lives. Lord, we just love you so much. Thank you for all that have come to listen today. To you be all honor and glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen and amen. Now, today's study is a little bit longer than usual because we've got a lot of scripture to cover. In fact, we're going to be talking about 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 to 34. So get your Bible or Bible apps out and open them up to 1 Corinthians 11, starting with verse 17. We're going to read all of that in just a moment. But while you're turning, let me share this with you. In this passage today, we're going to see that Paul gives specific instructions on how the Lord's Supper is to be celebrated. And he reminded the Corinthians that it is to be a sacred time of remembering what Jesus did for us in his sacrificial suffering and death. It should be a time of unity and not division. So as we read this passage, note how we should honor the celebration of the Lord's Supper and remember how Jesus died for each and every one of us. Are you ready to read? All right, I'm going to read you follow along, starting with verse 17. But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper, for some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing it with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. For I pass on to you what I receive from the Lord himself. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That's why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you are really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive. Amen to the reading of his word. All right, let's just dive right in, okay? Let's look at verse 17. It reads, But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. Here's the question. What is Paul's tone in this beginning verse, and how does it differ from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 2? In other words, the second verse in this chapter. In the beginning of this chapter, if you'll turn back and look at verse 2 of chapter 11, Paul says, I am so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you're following the teachings I passed on to you. Now, that sounds really encouraging, right? But now, here in 17, he writes pointedly that he does not praise them for what he's about to discuss. What happened between verse 2 and 17? Apparently, their meetings together were doing more harm than good, and he's going to expound upon that. So he is not a happy camper. In fact, this is a very pointed, very stern warning to them. Number two, verses 18 and 19. Let's read those. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. Here's the question. Paul identifies that there are divisions in the Corinthian church. What are they? And why are they harmful to the church? When people in the church develop into self-willed divisions, such as class divisions or the factions described in 1 Corinthians 3-4, where we found some of the people were following Paul, some Apollos, some Peter. When these things are happening, when the church develops into this self-willed division, these things are just destructive to the entire congregation. Paul also said that he could believe this because factions reveal who is genuine in the practice of their faith in Christ. Put another way, divisions over issues such as these clarify which of them has God's approval for their faithfulness in doing what's right. If misunderstood, this statement would seem contradictory. Paul has spent much of the letter telling believers to avoid divisions and to set aside their own rights for the good of others. We've studied those topics. To call factions desirable would turn those prior statements upside down. However, that is neither what Paul has said nor what he means. He has referred to this type of division as something expected, not something appreciated. Why are factions or divisions necessary to reveal who is approved of by God? Wouldn't unity among all people show that all were being genuine in their faith? In practical terms, division, though never desirable, sometimes serves the purpose of showing who has the conviction to stand for what is right, even when others are not doing so. Number three, verses 20 and 21, they read, When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper, for some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry, while others get drunk. Here's the question. Why did Paul say the Corinthians were not interested in the Lord's Supper? And what was their attitude regard sharing their meals? Well, let me give you a little bit of background. The Lord's Supper was instituted by Jesus before he died. Matthew 26 verses 26 to 29 Jesus and his disciples ate a meal sang Psalms read Scripture and prayed then Jesus took two traditional parts of the Passover meal the passing of the bread and the drinking of wine and gave them new meaning as representations of his body and blood he used the bread and wine to explain the significance of what he was about to do on the cross the Lord's Supper was celebrated from the earliest days of the church. This celebration included a feast or fellowship meal in the church in Corinth. It seems that people brought food to share, with the rich bringing more food than the poor. So instead of sharing equally among everyone, some went hungry while others got drunk. They were merely satisfying their hunger, not concerned about celebrating communion. Paul condemned these actions and reminded the church of the real purpose of the lord's supper number four verse 22 reads what don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking or do you really want to disgrace god's church and shame the poor what am i supposed to say do you want me to praise you well i certainly will not praise you for this here's the question about verse 22 paul continues from the previous verses in his pointed words to the corinthians What is his point here in verse 22? The problem is that the church in Corinth had the fellowship and meal gathering. They turned it into a party. Not only that, this was a provide your own or bring your own event. That resulted in abundant food and alcohol for some, presumably the wealthy, while those believers living in poverty are forced to watch in hunger. Drunkenness is occurring at least enough for Paul to call it out. Paul's appropriate response is, what? This is not a modern projection into the ancient text. Paul opens this statement with the phrase, "megar," an exclamation of disapproval, disbelief, and frustration. One can imagine a modern version of Paul responding with that exact word when told that the Corinthians are calling that the Lord's Supper. This verse clearly indicates that feasting and drinking are not the point of the gathering. As Paul asks, don't they have homes they can do that in? His next question reveals that the way that they're practicing this supper does not show respect for the Lord. It shows that they disrespect and minimize God's church. The church, quote unquote, includes all believers, even those who are poor. Instead of ensuring that everyone is welcomed and fed, wealthy Christians in the Corinthian church were dividing from the poor along class lines. This attitude is no different than what was expected by all in Roman culture. Paul will insist that the church should be different. Poor people should not be humiliated by the rich and powerful in church. All should be unified in Christ. Paul goes beyond silently withholding praise to telling the Corinthians bluntly that he will not praise them for this. Instead, he will describe for them the purpose of the Lord's Supper and give direction about how to practice it together. And now we come to verses 23 and 24. I'm sure these are very familiar to you. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Here's the question. Paul apparently felt the Corinthian believers didn't understand the basic concept of the Lord's Supper, even though he had taught it to them. Did he receive a direct revelation from the Lord in this? And how does he begin to refocus the believers in these verses? Well, Paul begins by saying he's passing on information he received from the Lord. This probably doesn't mean that he had a divine direct revelation, because the tradition of the Lord's Supper had been in circulation among the churches through the teaching of the apostles ever since the church began. Paul and the gospel writers drew upon the same apostolic tradition. Participating in the Lord's Supper is an important facet of Christian worship, and that Christ's presence, however they understand it, strengthens them spiritually. By eating the body of Christ, believers receive, through faith, the power and benefits of Christ's body broken for sin and glorified forever. Because the Lord's Supper is commemorated in remembrance of the body and blood of Jesus given for the redemption of sinful people, It must never, ever be taken lightly. All right, number six, verse 25. It says, In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Here's the question. What is the cup of the new covenant, as mentioned in this verse, and why is it significant? In the old covenant, which was the promise of God with his people before Christ came. In that old covenant, people could approach God only through the priests and the sacrificial system. God would forgive the people's sins if they would bring animals for the priests to sacrifice. When this sacrificial system was begun, the agreement between God and human beings was sealed with the blood of animals. The people of Israel first entered into this agreement after the exodus from Egypt. But animal blood did not in and of itself remove sin. Only God can forgive sin. And animal sacrifices had to be repeated day by day and year after year. Jesus' death on the cross ushered in the new covenant or agreement between God and humanity. This concept is key to all New Testament theology. Under this new covenant, Jesus died in the place of sinners. Unlike the blood of animals, Jesus' blood truly removed the sins of all who put their faith in him. And Jesus' sacrifice will never have to be repeated. It's good for all eternity. The new covenant completes rather than replaces the old covenant. Now people can personally approach God and communicate with him. Eating the bread and drinking the cup shows that God's people are remembering Christ's death for them and renewing their commitment to serve him. All right, number seven, verse 26 says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. The question is simply, what does this verse mean? Well, by partaking of the body and blood of Christ, believers personally show their participation in the Christian community and their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. The periodic solemn celebration of the Lord's Supper among believers reminds them of Christ's suffering on their behalf and of his imminent return when he will take them with him. Number eight, verses 27 and 28 say, so anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Here's the question. In these verses, 27 and 28, Paul warns about taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Explained. The solemn occasion of the Lord's Supper was to be celebrated carefully and entered into with spiritual readiness. When Paul was referring to taking it in an unworthy manner, he was speaking to church members who were rushing into it without thinking of its meaning. And if they did that, then that would be considered a sin. To treat the symbols of Christ's ultimate sacrifice irreverently is to be guilty of irreverence toward his body and blood shed on the sinner's behalf. Instead of honoring Christ's sacrifice, those who are taking the Lord's Supper unworthily were sharing in the guilt of those who crucified him. The very nature of the Lord's Supper calls for introspection, taking a serious look inside of ourselves to examine ourselves, to look at our motives. Paul is saying that No one should partake of the Lord's Supper who had not accepted Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for salvation. Neither should they come to the table drunk, angry with others, or with known but unrepented sin in their lives. Coming to the Lord's table unworthily means to come without a solemn understanding of what is being remembered and without a repentant and humble spirit before the Lord. Number nine. Verses 29 and 30 read, For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. Here's the question. How is taking the Lord's Supper unworthily bringing God's judgment upon yourself? To take the Lord's Supper, in other words, to eat the bread and drink the wine, as though it were no more than a regular meal to combat hunger, is to miss the sanctity of this special rite. Those who did so were eating and drinking God's judgment on themselves. This judgment was severe, one of the most severe in the New Testament, in fact. The judgment was disciplinary in nature. That is, this did not refer to eternal judgment, but it was severe enough to cause many of the believers to be weak and sick, while some had even died. That some of the people had died, may have been a special supernatural judgment on the Corinthian church. This type of disciplinary judgment highlights the seriousness of the communion service. The Lord's Supper is not some meaningless ritual, but a sacrament given by Christ to help strengthen believers' faith. Number 10. Verse 31 says, But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Well, here's the question. What does examining ourselves in this context mean? Paul is saying that if the believers took time to examine themselves, to look at their own motives before taking the Lord's Supper and come to it with humble and repentant hearts. What does a repentant heart mean? It means to turn from your sin, to confess it and turn from it and head towards Christ. And if we would come with humble and repentant hearts, They wouldn't be examined by God and judged as discussed in the last answer. While no one can come to the Lord's Supper worthy of Christ's redemptive work, all believers can come with the right attitude and the right motivation to thank and praise God for what he's done. Number 11, verse 32 says, Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Well, here's the question. What is this discipline designed to do for the believer? The judgment sent by God is meant to bring believers back to a right understanding of the Lord's Supper so they can celebrate it correctly. The discipline will draw them back so they can worship the Lord and not be condemned along with the world. The world will face eternal condemnation one day because it has rejected Christ. And now finally, our last question of the day. Thanks for hanging in there with me verses 33 and 34. They read, So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you're really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive. And now here's the question. What is Paul's solution to the problem the Corinthian believers were having with the Lord's Supper? Paul advised the believers that when they gathered to celebrate the Lord's Supper, they should wait for each other. They should come to that meal desiring to fellowship with other believers and to prepare for the Lord's Supper to follow, not to fill up on a big dinner. If they were hungry, they should eat at home, so they would come to the fellowship meal in the right frame of mind. As Paul had already explained, to come with the wrong attitude would bring judgment on them. How sad to turn a blessed time of unity and thanksgiving into a time of division and judgment. Paul did not want this to be the case in the Corinthian church at all, and that's why he addressed it in this way. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of today's study about the Lord's Supper. Let me recap briefly what we just talked about. We discovered today that Paul talks about the nature of the Lord's Supper and what it means to the Christian community, And we were also reminded that we are to honor this celebration and to keep it meaningful. Next time, we're going to study 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 31, and we're going to talk about spiritual gifts and how they can be used to bring people together in service to God. Thanks for joining me today. It's been a joy to be with you. Really appreciate you hanging in there with me on this. I just hope that you have an amazing rest of your day and week. To God be the glory for all of this. Anything good that comes out of this, it all belongs to him. I'll see you right back here again next week. Until that time, God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.